welcome to episode 67 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirakitani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from Interstate 35, <laughs> heading southbound out of the Twin Cities, creeping along in a little traffic. <laughs> Joined on the phone by David Mirakitani, the wizard of the track wrestling rankings. How are you doing today, David? I'm good. More importantly, I'm at my desk. <laughs> Not on the road, so um, yeah, everything's good. Great, it was a crazy weekend last weekend in, in wrestling for sure. All kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, we have no shortage of stuff to talk about. Um, like I said, I'm on my way back to Cedar Falls from Minneapolis. Had a chance, uh, actually, just coming away from Minnesota right now. Uh, Brandon Agum gave me a tour of the new student-athlete village there on the campus in Minnesota uh, where the Gophers are going to have a new wrestling room. 7,500 square feet, uh, 12,000 square foot weight room, um, you know, unbelievable amenities. The place is immaculate. And uh, the reason I made the trip up here, though, Super Bowl Media Day. So jealous, uh, man. So jealous. Monday night. <laughs> And I uh, had a chance to visit uh, with some players that are going to be in that game or, or players on the both rosters who have some connections in wrestling. Really cool experience uh, to get a visit with them. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I got a chance to see the interview you had up there with Ferentz. And, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of some of the things that, you know, I'm sure you, you obviously talk to people every day in the wrestling world. I do, too. I think what's super interesting is how wrestling really, I don't know if engulfs is the right word, but how important wrestling is to so many people in walks of life. And it isn't always the guys who were national champions, but just the values they learn, the lessons they learn, the memories they have. Why do you think wrestling's like that maybe more than some other sports? I don't know. It's a really addicting sport, David. Um, I can't really put my finger on why. I just think, you know, there are a lot of unique personalities in the sport. Uh, certainly it's it's one that, that uh, if you understand it, I think that's the big hurdle is if you understand it, it can really grip you. And you know, the thing that was really cool to me was, and I covered James Ferentz in high school when he was at Iowa City High. He was a state finalist. You know, he knew then he was going to go to Iowa and play football, play football for his dad, Kirk. Uh, but, uh, you know, a guy that uh, performed really well on the mat, a state finalist. And, you know, I know his brother Brian, who also wrestled at City High and went on to play for the Hawkeyes and in the NFL and is now the offensive coordinator. Brian's a guy that, that uh, even when he was in the NFL with the Patriots as an assistant coach, you would see him at the NCAA championships. Nice. You, know, you, you could spot him in the Iowa section. And James – the first thing, you know, it's been a while since I've talked to James, and I went up to him last night and approached him. I said, hey, you, you mind talking a little wrestling? And, he, you know, one of the first things that he said to me was, he goes, yeah, I was actually just watching uh, uh, the other day on, uh, um, on track wrestling. He was watching City High. Iowa City High won, <laughs> won the Mississippi Valley Conference uh, for the first time, I think. And, you know, it's been like 10-plus years at least uh, you know, maybe even before James was wrestling for the Little Hawks. And, and I, you know, I thought that was really cool. The guys, um, you know, on the roster with the Patriots and, and getting ready to, you know, biggest game of the football season, biggest game of the year. And, 
uh, his down week in between, he's glued into what's going on with his alma mater at, at the conference wrestling tournament. I thought that was awesome. It's so super, we had a chance. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I say it's super cool, and it's not that he's like, I'm watching Iowa, Michigan. Like, it's he's not watching, like, or I'm not watching the Uregan. He's just watching wrestling because wrestling's important to him and his alma mater's important to him, not because it's this elite, elite event. That's That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and lots of cool stuff in that interview with James. We had a chance to talk to him for about, I don't know, 15 minutes off camera, too, and, and a lot of fun. You know, he wrestled Eric Thompson, and Eric Thompson, a guy, uh, yeah. the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club, three-time NAIA heavyweight champ. He wrestled Eric Thompson in the heavyweight finals, and we had a chance to talk about that a little bit. Uh, it's kind of funny. You know, the James got into an over-under with Thompson, and, and tried throwing him, and there was a, you know, a brief moment in there where it looked like, you know, like maybe Ferris was going to pin Eric Thompson. And Eric was the number one high school heavyweight in the country right. at the time, you know, heading to Iowa State, to ultimately ended up in Grandview. But, uh, uh, you know, it's funny, James was saying that the last thing that Brad Smith, the legendary high school coach uh, down you know, in Iowa, uh, Brad, the last thing he told him was, you know, stay out of the over-unders. And he winds up in an over-under position, and he's like, well, let's see where, where this goes. But, uh, you know, James wasn't a guy who, you know, was he wasn't a thrower in high school, but uh, uh, felt like he needed to do something there, and maybe let's see where this position leads us. But, uh, you know, just his recollections of that and what, what wrestling meant to him. I, I thought that was really cool. Also, I had a chance to talk to Steven Wisniewski, offensive lineman for the Eagles, uh, you know, a guy that uh, his dad was a state champ in Pennsylvania. Uh, he wrestled in high school. Still, you know, he went on to Penn State, played football there. But he's still, uh, you know, he's he's plugged into what's going on with Kale and the Nittany Lions. And, and uh, you know, then uh, uh, also had a chance to talk to a couple others as well that are going to be playing in that game. Um, Rick Lovato, the long snapper of the Eagles, guy that wrestled in New Jersey, Comes from Middletown, New Jersey, uh, Frank Molinero's hometown. And, uh, you know, a guy that uh, when we post the video, you're going to have to check it out. He does a Steve Martin impersonation. In oh. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. So, yeah, Rick was Rick was uh, out there long snapping sandwiches last night. Some of the stuff that these guys <laughs> do on Super Bowl Media Day is pretty amusing. But, uh, you know, I saw Darren Sproles getting interviewed by a, a guy wearing a dog mask. <laughs> um, you know, guy in a shark suit asking some pretty innocuous questions as well. So it was a spectacle. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, James Torres, maybe does the best Steve Martin impression I've ever seen in my life. Um, he used to be the assistant at George Mason. and He did one night and had Mike Dixon and I laughing so hard we almost fell down. It's uh, it's it's and then people that know I love Steve Martin. So if you're listening, Steve, shout out. But uh, in, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So, um, but yeah, I, I I need to see that because if you got a big football guy doing a Steve Martin impression, that's going to be worth watching for sure. Yep. So well, David, as I mentioned, we have no shortage of things to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So and you're kind of leading the the ship today. You're the captain of the ship. Where are we going to go? Well, um. You know, let's. I guess let's get into the rankings. And I always I tease you off the air reading this uh, Resolite sports read. So I'm going to try this and see if I don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah, this pod- podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Product, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. 
from Resolite ZipMat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to their exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. How did I do? That was awesome. I uh, was trying to read it along with you in my mind. Okay. I've, I've gotten to the point where I can do that now. I, every That's week known, I want to say. the words to a song. <laughs> yeah. Every week I want to teach you about, hey, good luck with that. And so, yeah. So well, we appreciate the folks at Resolite, no doubt. Yeah. Paul Gilbert's the president there, awesome guy. Actually, a couple of years ago when I bought my house, my housewarming gift from my dad were mats customized with our family logo and seal on them. Um, all our last name in Japanese, awesome stuff. Um, and we, I've coached a lot of kids on those mats over the years, so it's been really, really, they're cool, super cool. So I guess let's, uh, let's dig into the rankings. We'll just go by weights, and I think we'll probably hit on a couple subjects along the way there. So 125, really very little movement. Uh, Connor Brown moved in, sort of a body of work thing. 133, this was, okay, so John Ernesty was third, and he lost, and Jack Mueller was seventh, and he lost. Now, Ernesty's loss was a better loss, obviously, to Cade Brock than Tariq Wilson, um, but Ernesty has no top eight wins now and had lost head-to-head Mueller. So Bridges and Parker and Cade Brock all slid up a spot. Uh, Josh Terrell moved up from 8 to 6. Stevon Misik from 10 to 7. And then the other main thing is that uh, Ali Nazer lost, and he dropped a few spots. And Ian Parker, who we're going to talk about next, moved up to 141. So 141, obviously the big news, and we'll get into the duels, was Dean Hiles' loss. And... So we dropped him to nine. Um, I think you could make an argument he's seven or eight. You know, somewhere him, Mason Smith, Josh Albert. Him and Josh Albert should wrestle Sunday or Saturday, so that'll take care of that. But he has to stop above Tommy Thorne because he has a head-to-head win there. Ian Parker, we put really more or less right where Kanan's store was at 17. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously he's got a very limited body of work, but so far so good there. Speaking of Kanan's store, obviously the stories are out. You know, everybody's heard the interviews with uh, with Iowa State's coach, with Kevin Dresser, and uh, the talk about tampering and things like that. You're a guy who's been a journalist for a long time. What did you, what did you think about when you heard that? Well, I don't know that we've ever had a story like this in wrestling, have we? I, I, haven't, I, I haven't. What happens I, all the time, like in junior college, it happened all the time, but – it's never a story. It, it never surfaces, right? Right, yeah. I mean, you know, you hear whisper, whispers of this and that going on, but, uh, you know, for somebody to go on the record with it is it's pretty interesting. And uh, it's, a, it's an odd situation. I mean, we, we got the news a week ago as we were wrapping up our recording of this podcast that Store was leaving, and that, to me, was really startling. You know, for a guy to drop off the team, you know, to, to decide, you know, midway through the season, here we are seven, eight weeks out from the end of the season, 
you know, you've, you've made it through the hard part. Now it's collect the fruits of your labor. Right. You know, you know, wrestle with the postseason, and he's going to give that up. You only get four of these chances. He's given that up. What was wrong in Kanan Storr's mind is what uh, I, I'm really curious. I, I want to hear Kanan Storr's side of the story and what happened. Uh, but, you know, you hear from Kevin Dresser, and he, he talks about uh, the fact that, you know, he's, he's made no bones about it. He feels like, you know, Virginia has, uh, you know, you read the stories even that, that they've got phone records and, you know, texts and phone calls and, Stuff like that. So that's uh, that's pretty compelling stuff, David. Yeah, I mean, this happened all the time in junior college. I could tell you a million stories about guys that burbled to one place and guys that even signed letters with one place, but then another guy got him to sign a letter, and one guy, the second guy faxed the NLI in before the first guy mailed it. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. I know one guy that signed a girlfriend to a scholarship just to get the guy to come. And they didn't even have a girl's team. And the girl had never wrestled in her life. So, I mean, you know, I guess that's the wild, wild west of junior college. But, I mean, I've heard these kind of stories. But when you, it's different now. It's, everything's documented. And supposedly they're his landlord. But, you know, you can't – you just can't do that. You can't – it's, it's kind of – it's like you can't be friends. You know, like if – you know, if like if you and somebody break up, she keeps her friends, you keep your friends. I mean, it's kind of understood only there's actually a rule about this. You just can't be talking to those people, at least where there's records of it. I mean, you know, if you run into them at a tournament, I don't think they can stop you. But, you know, it's really – I'm going to be super interested to see how it gets pursued. So, anyway. Yeah, you bring up the uh, – you know, I know the Paulsons had some property there. I wasn't aware that uh, Keenan was a tenant of theirs. But uh, that brings in some gray area too, right? I mean, what, what's he supposed to do if – you know, you, you got a problem. The hot water heater's out. Sure. That's that's pretty pretty interesting stuff from, from an NCAA legislation standpoint, well, I would right. think. But if the water heater goes out twice in six months, right. it's probably exactly. fine. If it goes out 18 times in six months, <laughs> you know, maybe they, yeah. you know. Point well taken. They're either slumlords or else they're talking about stuff besides, you know, the water heater, obviously. Yeah, for sure. So, and I know we're going to get into this, but. Uh, you know, when we talk about the dual meets of the weekend, but I just got to say that Jay Nyerman looks like he's ready to wrestle for a national title. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Awfully impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Pretty impressive. And, and you know, the, the Heil situation is is unlike anything that, that I've seen in a while where, you know, we don't know if there's, there's something, you know, beneath the surface that we don't know about, injury or, or anything like that. A lot of people are uh, – trying to dissect what's going on. Uh, yeah. You go from winning 55 straight to losing four out of seven. I, I can't recall that uh, that type of uh, a turnaround. Right. You know, I've, I suppose maybe guys have gone the other way where they, they just kind of figured it out all of a sudden. But, uh, you know, it feels to me like, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't get any easier for him, right, with Josh Albert coming up. Uh you know, it'll be interesting to see how John Smith can get Dean Heil back on track. Does he give him a little bit of a break here? Does he, uh, you know, is, is it one of those deals like, you know, in basketball where, where you, you got to shoot yourself out of a shooting slump, right? Uh, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah, 
Um, I think there's a 100% chance there's something going on below the surface. Right. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. This is what is it? What is it and and how do you deal with it? And the last time – and I don't think this guy had a season like this, but the last time you saw a guy who was – I wouldn't say dominant, but winning that much and then didn't place as a senior was like – or didn't place one year was like a Greg Jones. You know, I mean – and, yeah. you know, and, that, and I actually saw Greg a couple weeks ago because he's coaching with Kimmy Barzini uh, in MMA. And, you know, it just I saw him, like, remind me how dominant that dude was. So uh, the, the thing is, too, like, like Kyle wasn't beating the brakes off everybody during that 55-match winning streak, and it doesn't take a whole lot to be off for, right. for a few, few matches to go the other way. The thing that uh, probably – startling most startling to me was just you know the events of this past weekend where you know you, you lose a match to Bryce Meredith you lose a match to Kevin Jack you know so be it you go 4-0 with Vince Turk well you can kind of pass that off as Dean Heil you know never really okay. being a guy that that's yeah. that's gonna put 25 on the board uh but uh you know getting pinned by Ironman and you know super super dangerous guy there but uh uh, then losing, we haven't seen him lose a match to a freshman. You know, a guy like, uh, you know, a guy like Ian Parker coming in. You just haven't seen Dana Heil drop one like that. For sure. But uh, the thing that's also interesting to me too, David, is is how suddenly it just came together for Dean Heil too. You remember he was struggling his freshman year, and right around maybe like 20th in the rankings, and then all of a sudden catches fire in March. Yeah, and and finishes fourth and carries that through the next year and wins a national title and then reels off 55 in a row, and it's like it's going the other way for him well, at that, the end of his career. That too. first year, they wanted him at 33 and he couldn't make it. And when they finally agreed to 41, and he wasn't battling weight and they were on the same page, that's what changed. And he had a really good draw in the second round. He had Le'Veon Mays, and both of those guys like to stand around and, and kind of just explode and. When you've wrestled Mays once, it's a lot easier to win that match. You know, I, and I, I could see that happening. But, yeah, for sure, it's going to be interesting. It, it, he's a guy, though, I think this, the most frightening thing about the loss to Ironman is, even if he'd gotten off his back, he'd have been down like 10 or 12 points. So, you know, like like you said, you know, he lost a one-move match to Jack, a one-move match to Meredith at altitude, blah, blah, blah. But that was not a one-move match. That was like three moves to none, and, they, and two of them were big, big moves. So, anyway. Um, 49, Malik Amin and Davion Jeffries moved in, but nothing crazy. Uh, 157, not a lot of movement. Kennedy Monday comes in, and Freddie Stroker drops. And we're leaving Jason Nolf in the rankings. I'm going to leave Jason Nolf in the rankings and at number one until he does or doesn't wrestle in the Big Tens. I think he's earned that over, you know, the last two point seven, two point eight years of wrestling. So, what do you think? Uh, let's say he sits it out till Big Tens. What will he be seed? Do you think he's the number one seed? Clearly, in the Big, Big Tens. No, because he'll have a loss. He he has an official loss to Rutgers, right? Right. So Kemmer right. will be the one seed, assuming he wins out. Well, it goes by coach's vote. Is yeah, you know, something has changed. I think if coaches vote, then I think common sense, they vote him at one. But I also think, and this is where it's really hard, right? Like, you kind of want the bracket to be fair. And if they know he's going to wrestle, they vote him one. 
but it's kind of like last year when Soriano didn't wrestle and he was, I think, the three seed. You know, that six and 11 seed had a really good chance, which is where Lezak came out of, if I remember correctly. Yep. You know, that, that was a much easier path. So, obviously, you know, people have been asking me, like, well, you know, Kale and Cody and Cunningham should tell them what's going on. Like, no. And I talked to my dad, who's the most honest guy I know. And he's like, why would you say anything? He's like, you don't need to lie, but why would you say anything? Because you always protect your guys. And I, I couldn't agree with that more. So yeah. we're not going to hear anything. We're not going to know. And a lot of people are probably going to lean towards what happened last year where it was more serious than they let on. But that's their right, and it's actually, I think, their responsibility. What most people don't know about his fans is they don't know what it's like to sit down with a mom and dad at a kitchen table and promise you're going to take care of a young man, you know, in our case, two or three years, and in their case, four or five years. If, if your word means anything to you, you follow that promise more than what somebody on a message board or somebody from a media source wants you to do. So I just, I, I think they'll play it exactly like they did last time. And I think, you know, if, if you understand that, it's more than fair. So uh, at 65, um, Marinelli moved up and Chance Marsteller moved up. Marsteller beat Chad Walsh. And Marinelli, he's obviously undefeated, been undefeated the whole way, but now he's got a lot more matches under his belt. So Marsteller and Marinelli moved from 6 to 7 to 4 to 5. Wick and Walsh dropped a little bit. And Tayshon Campbell dropped a spot for losing by stalling disqualification, which I can only imagine was a terrible weight cut. Um, 74, not much. 84, nothing really happened except... It looks like we're not going to get Pat Downey. Yeah. So. It doesn't look that way. It's he's come out. Yeah. It's not going to happen. A ton of speculation about this. Um, you know, I called some guys that I know, and the most rational explanation I've heard is whenever you go to three, four-year schools, you have to get a waiver. You know, I guess my thought is why wouldn't you talk – why wouldn't you find out about that waiver ahead of time, right? Because – this is just a lot of work and everything else. And I have to imagine that the brands thought they were going to get it or they wouldn't have even gone through the trouble. I mean, it's not like, you know, Downey's a no, no muss, no fuss kind of guy. I mean, you know, he's a lightning rod to a lot of people. So have you heard anything or do you think it's anything different than what I've said? Or are you kind Well, of- yeah, I don't want to get into the speculation game on some stuff, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, the one thing I would say is, even back talking to Pat in the summer, uh, and I think, uh, you know, maybe I've heard this some other places too, Terry Brands has been trying to, you know, trying to get him to Iowa for a long time. Had tried before in the past, and, and uh, you know, I think maybe sometimes Tom and Terry see guys that, that maybe need a little bit of direction, yeah, and feel like you know they've got a lot of ability. They just need to harness that ability and and feel like that they can make you know, kind of steer them on a better path, not just for wrestling, but in, but in their life as well. And I think maybe Pat falls under that category where uh, you know they see a, the guy that can win at a high level and a guy that uh, you know probably needs Iowa as much as Iowa needs him, maybe more structure and, for sure, right? And, and uh, yeah. 
And I don't know that this is necessarily the end of things with that relationship. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I, I do think Pat probably has some aspirations for wrestling beyond college. Uh, I, I know he's made no, no bones about it that he wants to get into fighting too. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, he has uh, seemed like he enjoys his time in Iowa City, has enjoyed his time around the Iowa program. And, you know, whether it, whether it was going to work out there or not, uh, certainly there's there's life for Pat Downey and a wrestling career for Pat Downey beyond what happened, you know, the last two months of this season. So th- th- that's a thing to me that uh, will be interesting to follow as this goes along. Where does, where does his career go and, and, you know, who is in his corner and, and what does he become – not just on the map, but but off it, and and what is his life? Where does his life lead after this? For sure, for sure about all that. Hundred percent chance we see him fighting someday, for sure. And this, this time legally, so that's good. So, one ninety seven, your guy Darmstead moved up to three, really on the result of Nicholas beating Weigel and Beasley beating Wilkie. So Darmstead moved to to three. Nicholas to four, Weigel to five, uh, and then Beasley and Wilkie met in the middle at 10 and 11. So those are really the big changes there. And heavyweight, God bless it, literally no changes this uh, this week. So um, that's it. Let me get up my read here. So the rankings portion of our podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From their zip mat, the first and only dip tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to their exclusive digiprint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. So I will be happy to turn that over to you next week, sir. (laughs) So, (laughs) Where do you want to go next, David? Let's talk about the duels. Let's talk about, I guess, in, in order that they happen, let's talk about Michigan, Iowa, and kind of what, you know, obviously I'm sure you watched it. What were your were your takeaways or your impressions of that? Well, I thought it was pretty fascinating in the beginning that uh, Paul Glenn finding a way to stave off Michich in the closing seconds. I thought that team point might loom large later in the duel. It turns out it, it did not. Uh, but uh, then you lead into 41, and that uh, that was a wild, wild shootout there with Vince Turk and Sal Profaci. We can get at, at that later. A point you want to bring up about Tom Brands and video reviews. But uh, uh, I felt like that was one Iowa absolutely had to have, knowing that Kemmerer was out. Going ahead to 57, when I found out that uh, Kemmerer was out, I, I – figured that that would be a sneaky close match that uh, not a lot of people know about Jaron Glosser, but a guy that's got some high quality wins on his resume at open competitions in freestyle. Uh, A guy that I know people in that room think very highly of. He's buried right now behind uh, Brandon Sorensen, but he's had close matches in wrestle-offs with Lugo. Uh, Been really competitive with some high-level guys, and then you, you factor in you know, I don't know how far out Pantaleo knew in advance that Kemmerer wasn't wrestling, but uh, right. when you when you gear yourself up for Kemmerer and then Kemmerer's not there, 
you know, yeah. maybe there's a little natural inclination to, to let your foot off the pedal a little bit and, and maybe some disappointment too. And, and so that felt like it could be a close match and it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three, two with about 10 seconds to go. Fantaleo gets the takedown to put it away. Uh, 65 Marinelli comes out, gets the takedown right away and nothing really happens after that. Uh, now you're looking at, uh, what, what is it now? Three straight losses, four straight losses for Massa. Uh, you know, going back, I think four now, you know, going back to Wick in Vegas and then Joseph and uh, Wanzek and now, now Marinelli. So Michigan's got to get that figured out, get him back on track. Um, you know, 74, 84, uh, on the 97, big win uh, for Beasley there. And just kind of underscores what we've been saying all along, that uh, not not a whole lot of difference between <laughs> 2 through 15 in the rankings. It feels like right. there's the shelf that, that Colin Moore is on by himself and then everybody else trying to get to that. And, uh, you know, certainly some other results that occurred throughout the weekend and other duels that, that shook things up there. But, but that's been a really fluid situation all year long. And then uh, heavyweight – uh, 3-2, but, but, uh, felt like Kuhn was kind of in con- complete control the whole time throughout where, uh, Stoll really never gave himself a chance to win that match. Yeah. So, but one thing that you brought up that I hadn't really thought about was Tom Brands is, is a wizard with video reviews and, and a long yeah. track record of, of winning those here recently. Didn't win the one at Ohio State, which I thought he would with Miles Martin and the, uh, you know, the Turk there that, uh, where he got eight sets of back or eight points on near falls against Mitch Bowman. But, uh, you pointed it out, David. He's, he's got a pretty good track record of winning video reviews. Yeah. I mean, and part of it is I've got a chance to watch more matches because when you just look up results, you have no idea what was reviewed and all that stuff. But he did a great job in the Sam Stoll, Derek White match. And he did a great job in the Profaci Turk match because it looked like Turk or Profaci got a takedown to take the lead. And they didn't call it, but it looked like it was in before he got out of bounds. Michigan challenges, Brands challenges. And my buddy's like, what is Brands challenging? And, I'm, and you know, we were joking like, well, he's going to have them re, you know, re-challenge if they lose a challenge. I'm like, no, he wouldn't do that yet. There's something else going on. And he caught the headgear pull, which, you know, ended up making the match closer because Perfacci got a takedown at the buzzer. But that guy's really smart when it comes to these challenges. And, I mean, he doesn't get caught up in things, which, you know, a lot of people think those guys are sort of overly emotional. And that's a very clear indicator that he's not. Um, You know, I had a lot of the same impressions you did. Spencer Lee just destruction of Matten was frightening. And I really thought that the lack of tech at 25 was going to matter. 33. Uh, 33, sorry, 33. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I also thought that was just a huge win for Beasley because, you know, he wrestled well, but if he doesn't pass that ankle at the very end, he loses that match, and that's the duel. And I completely agree with you about um, Kuhn seeming like he was in control, even though it was a one-takedown match. So let's go to the Missouri-Oklahoma State duel. Um, I'll give you some of my impressions first this time. 
I thought that when Oklahoma State got the injury default win at 25, and I definitely want to talk to you about 33, but when they won that match, it kind of looked like, I'm like, my buddy, I go, man, it's going to be really hard for Mizzou to win this duel. And then Mizzou won pretty much every toss-up after that. You know, I think Grant Leith is so good at not sprawling and passing ankles. I mean, Bulu Wallen hit a shot. Leith gave him a rubber knee, went far ankle, picked the ankle up, and picked it over both of their heads all in about a second and a half. I mean, that guy is legit. Um, I thought Jacoby Smith wrestled really gutsy at 74 uh, for being injured. Um, 65, both guys got put on their back. That was interesting. Canton Marriott, I think, is kind of a dark horse candidate to All-American at 84. It's, uh, it's not a super deep weight. And I think I said this to you back like the first or second week of the year. I think Willie Miklas is one of the more skilled guys at 197. You know, I think it's it may be taking him a while. He might have had some other issues or whatever else. But his just skill level is really good. And his ability to make you wrestle in his positions and situation are, are really impressive. And, you know, it felt like Weigel was winning that match. You know, kind of had it a little bit of control early. But... Missouri just keeps grinding, and I just have to say this. I mean, when I went to college or high school in the 80s, and people used to send – the Big 12 used to send their backup schools, those Big 8 then. They used to send their backup rosters to Missouri. Now Missouri's going into Oklahoma State and winning, and, you know, they, they had a couple of matches where, you know, a lot of the Missouri people thought they had pins, and they ended up losing those matches besides that. So – you know, what were your impressions of that? Well, uh, you know, what you're talking about Missouri and Willie Miklas and, and the one thing, I, I think that's a really interesting point. I had a chance to watch him all four years of high school and guy that started out as a 119-pounder as a freshman and makes the state finals at 119 as a freshman and then goes up to 220 in his senior year and wins a state title. So he goes from 119 to 220 over the course of a four-year span. Of course, he wasn't wasn't a you know a full-size 220 pounder, but uh, but most high school did, guys aren't. Most he guys. did some he did some pretty interesting things though that year. He spladled his way through the state tournament as a 220 pounder. I think he and I, like that was his goal. I think was to go spladle everybody <laughs> in the state tournament. He was you know so head and shoulders better than everybody else. And yeah, I remember that that year him and Alex Meyer. Uh, had a a takedown record. They were after the school takedown record, and so those guys those guys were just ruthless. I mean, they were picking top and cutting guys. Uh, they were cutting guys at the end of, of periods. They were they were doing some goofy stuff, but um, but it, you know it, it was it was kind of fun to watch, and it uh, you know just seeing them out there, you know, in Willie's case, scoring takedowns with was stuff that you just don't see high school big guys hitting regularly. So, but to your point about Missouri, yeah, that, that program has come so far here in the last like 12 years Yeah, where the 12, 15 years where, you know, it just all of a sudden, and I, th- I think you can point back to really Ben Askren's arrival. Yes. Him as and, him and Pell. And, and I, I don't know in my time in the sport that one guy has, completely changed the face of a program like that 
and you know what they were before Ben Askren and what they become after him. You know where, or suddenly like, you know, it takes people. You know, I, I think back to really, you know, the late '90s when you would see like Jesse Jansen at at Harvard, and you know, some guys going out to other schools where where they had never won before. Yeah, like being examples at Stanford, those kind of yes, guys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Being examples of, you know, you know, I can go somewhere and and win a national title here. I don't go. I don't necessarily have to go to our perennial power to have the kind of success I want. And, and Ben, Ben changed that program around at, at Missouri and Brian Smith, certainly what he has done since. And I think one of the things that uh, we had Brian Smith on, uh, on the mat last week, the program that uh, radio show that Kyle Klingman and I do in, in the Cedar Valley each week. Uh, Brian Smith was one of our guests last week. And one of the things that's really fascinating to me you know, Missouri, you never see them show up at the top of recruiting rankings, team recruiting rankings, and yet year after year after year, they're finding guys like, you know, like Ernesty and, and Ironman and uh, just go on down the list with their team. You know, Miklas. Le'Veon Mays. That, Le'Veon yeah, Mays, for yeah, sure. Yeah. How to Schultz. Yeah. We could, we, could name, we, we could name off 20 guys probably to fit the bill here, but uh, – it's been really impressive what they've done. I, I don't know whether it's evaluation or development or all of the above, uh, but but they're really good at finding guys that fit their culture and and certainly, you know, they don't they don't have to go out and find the camp miss guys, but but whatever they're doing, yeah, they've got to figure it figured out. They do, um, and and Brian's a program builder, and you know he's had another sneaky good recruiting class. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with all the Missouri kids they've gotten. Um, but they got a lot of kids that, that have won some big things. And, you know, that duel was, I think one, you know, I think one of the things that was kind of crazy to me about that duel was the 133 match. And I guess for people that don't, didn't see it, Kate Brock was up either four to one or six to two, take down, let him go, take him down, let him, or maybe two or three takedowns. I can't remember. I mean, he picks down, and Ernesty gets in that sort of side-by-side ride, puts him in a splatel, you know, has him in a splatel probably 40 seconds. He's got him split out. I mean, and, you know, I, you know a lot of people are complaining he was pinned. I, I can't imagine he was pinned. The referee was right, literally right there. I talked to Mike Haggerty today, and he's like, you know, we do have the best view of things most of the time, and, you know, we're trying to make it the right call. I thought it was interesting that was Cade Brock picked down. He's wrestled Ernesty before, and Ernesty has rode him really hard in college and actually beat him from the top position in high school. So now Ernesty is winning the match because he's, he's up and he's got riding time, and he picks down. Cade Brock kicks him loose, takes him down, lets him go, and as soon as he turns around and they give one, he takes him down again and rides him out. John Smith and Brian Smith are great, great coaches, so I'm not questioning them at all. But it, it did make you wonder, like, why did both those guys pick down? You know, because, you know, Ernesty, we had him ranked higher than everybody else. If he wins that match, it's a pretty strong argument he's got a top three or four seed at Nationals, especially if he gets a three seed and he's away from Seth Gross. It feels like he could make a pretty deep run in the tournament. Yeah, now suddenly he's sitting down there like, 
what at nine now? He's at nine. And, and, and you got to yeah. win. You know, if you're you're there, you got to win Thursday night to get Seth Gross in the quarters. If if things play out, of course. Of course. A long way to go, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but it's still worth talking about for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. So and you know, obviously I'm in St. Louis. Ton of Missouri talk. One of the interesting things about Missouri is, you know, they've got some guys that are really positioned to do well in terms of seeding at nationals. And, you know, the the interesting thing is the MAC is not going to be as good as it was last year, especially with UNI leaving. So they'd have the advantage of theoretically winning their qualifying tournament and, you know, maybe increasing their winning percentage. But they don't probably have as many chances to get quality wins or up, right. or upsets in the in that regional tournament. They're going to be more protecting where they are than a chance to climb. Versus, you know, we we you know we circle back to 141. Like Dean Hiles, the three seed right now at the Big 12s, and he could be the four seed after this weekend. Yep. So, anyway, um, and then just shout out Missouri is 16 and 0. They are undefeated again. And, you know, you and I had a private conversation, like, who's the best, fourth best dual meet team in the country? I'm pretty sure we know who the top three are, but four, there's about five or six schools that have an argument for it. So yeah. those are interesting topics. I guess one other thing tied to dual meets is Northwestern beat Minnesota over the weekend. And uh, granted, Minnesota didn't wrestle Lezak, but it really reminds me of how important dual meets are for improving teams you know like oklahoma upset missouri last year south dakota state you know that most of their growth has really been in winning big dual meets you know wyoming big big watermark thing for them this year was losing a close dual meet to oklahoma state and you know as i think you know obviously dual meets don't matter in one sense because of you know when there's no dual meet tournament this year but um, I think they really matter, especially for, you know, up-and-coming teams and a chance to peak for those meets and, and try to do some big things there. That's how you build a fan base, too. 100%. You know, the get jacked, all those guys, what they're doing up there. A lot Missouri's like that now. They had their meet on the softball field this year. Um, yeah, people get psyched about that. So, um, you know, I was sitting in a Missouri bar this weekend, and we got them to put it on Fox Sports Midwest, and – it was just me and a couple of buddies of mine, and then I hear people like husbands explaining to their wives the scoring system, and a lot of the guys didn't know it was a four-point near fall, so they're asking me and my buddies what's going on, but it's kind of cool. I mean, Iowa, you're used to that, you know, people watching wrestling in, in a sports bar, but it's not that common here, so it was kind of a cool thing to see. You know, it was really cool. I got a text or a text message the other night, a picture message the other night from a friend uh, uh, out at a bar in Iowa City, and... Uh, they had the Oregon oh, sweet. on a on sweet. a huge huge projector screen. That's so sweet. They yeah. plugged in the laptop. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's talk yeah. about Oregon, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so so three three champs for the United States. Yeah, unbelievable. Tamira Stock, David Taylor, Kyle Snyder. David Taylor, man, he looked really, really good, David. Yeah, for sure. You know, he took, got off to a little bit of a slow start. He was down 4-0 against Tori Blanca, the Cuban, in the first match. Came back, got two takedowns, 
with about, you know, inside two minutes to go, two of them bang, bang, and won that match 4-4 on criteria, beats an Olympic silver medalist round two. And then he's out there rolling up people with folk-style stuff. I, I tweeted out after his semifinal, he pinned, uh, pinned a Russian with a bar and a wrist, and I tweeted out that uh, he's treating the Uregan semis like it's the Big Ten quarters. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, used, to, like yeah. he used to run through people at 165 back in the day. And uh, then another fall in the finals. So, uh, boy, the United States being able to add 79 and 92 where you can potentially plug in Kyle Dake at 79 and Jaden Cox slides in at 92 really, really makes the United States stronger. Men's freestyle makes world championship team even better. Although uh, I do think, you know, the guy who really impressed me, I don't want to overlook Nick Heflin at 92. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's a guy that's going to add to the depth level for the United States at that weight class. And, you know, really strong in some certain positions, chest locks. Yeah. Uh, adding, you know, adding some stuff on top you know, ankle laces and things like that, where uh, he's, he's certainly not going to be an easy out uh, for anybody not named Sagalaya. Sagalaya kind of ran through him a little bit with takedown and a couple gut wrenches and, a, you know, arm spin, and that was over really quickly. But that, uh, you know, that can happen to a lot of people too. So For sure. Well, Eric Guerrero, I know, is really happy with his progress down there at the Oklahoma RTC. And I know you remember this, but he really pushed David Taylor last year at the trials in the finals match before the two out of three with Taylor and Cox. I mean, he was winning that match, I think, at the end of the first period or with like 10 seconds or so left in the first period. And, and he's an absolute beast in certain positions, like you're saying. So. Yeah, the other thing, too, uh, we posted the match. We posted the semifinals and finals for Dake, or excuse me, for Taylor and, and Snyder. Those are up on track wrestling in their entirety. Uh, also, Dakes, I think it was his quarterfinal match. Yeah. A nine seven match, a wild, wild match. Kyle hit a four point throw uh, that was a dynamite throw. Um, incredible demonstration of strength in that position. Um, also in on a single leg, and the guy does a backflip out of the single leg. The Russian did a backflip out of the single leg, which was Unbelievable display of athleticism there. Yeah. Comes down the closing seconds, and uh, Dake gives up. I think he was up 9-5, gives up two, almost gets exposed for two more. One of the more entertaining matches that, that uh, you're probably ever going to see, so I would encourage you to go back and check out that one as well. Yeah, that was a great match. I got a chance to watch that one. And like you said, I mean, there's guys that are going to push those guys at both weights, but... It does feel like the kind of the ideal weights for the USA in terms of what spots opened up. So, I'm really intrigued to see who wins, uh, who represents the U.S. at 61 kilos. Now, with Steber moving up, feels like, to me, there isn't a clear-cut front runner there. You know, Tony Ramos, Corey Clark both wrestled at the Uregan. Uh, Clark dropped an opening round match, went 8-6 with a, I think, 2014 junior world champ from Mongolia. Uh, Ramos uh, won, I think, one or two before he got pinned by Rashidov, the, or before he got teched by Rashidov, the Russian 
world silver medalist last year, a guy that uh, to me appears to be head and shoulders better than everybody else at that weight class right now. He's the number one. Right. So one thing that will be fascinating to follow is the day of weigh-ins, how that affects uh, things moving forward. The Russians, they may not like it right away, but they uh, they certainly had a good, uh, strong amount of success at the Regan there. So, but it was a one-day tournament. When these they have two-day weigh-ins, that's going to be right. a big change too, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think that's a huge advantage to Americans that wrestle tournaments like that. And you know, like somebody was saying, well, you know, like I heard somebody saying, well, they shouldn't be using results from Uregan for rankings for, you know, for the seeding points for the UWWs because it's a one-day versus a two-day. Well, that's our, that argument's kind of ridiculous because the Nationals are a three-day event and everybody uses one- and two-day events for the seeding because there are no other three-day events. So, I mean, if you only use two-day events in college, there would be no seeding. You would just put everybody in a hat. So, but I do think it's really going to benefit the USA going forward. So, um, and I, I made a bold decision, and I did not take Kyle Snyder out of the rankings for collegiate inactivity this week. I decided to leave <laughs> him in. So we had talked about that a couple years ago, and he is the exception to the rule, you know, where it's not like he's sitting out. He's doing gigantic things. So and that's another guy that really just trusts his cardio completely and doesn't panic. And his legend just continues to grow. He's just such an impressive kid. He's a, yeah, he's trailing 1-1. One, one. Um, and all these matches are blending together, David. I went like three straight days without getting more than three or four hours of sleep at a time. So I'm, I'm a little bit fried. <laughs> but I think it was his semi where he was down 1-1 one, one in the final minute. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, there's, there's no way Kyle's losing this match. You know, you just, you just know in that sixth minute. Yeah. That uh, he's going to find a way to pull one out. It's to the point now where, like, what he's done over time, and he wears out Sajulayev in the World Finals, and and uh, he just wears on people, and they're not not accustomed to wrestling a guy that has that type of skill level and stamina, and it puts so much pressure on you for for that kind of time frame that uh, you you just see guys wilt over time and. And he doesn't panic either. He absolutely doesn't panic. He completely trusts his cardio, completely trusts his game plan. And I think he's also mastered something that's really critical, which is he's not afraid to lose. And I think that's uh, – I don't think he fears losing. I think it's like, okay, that's – you know, like everybody has these sayings, like either you win or you learn. Like I think he actually lives his life that way. I mean, I was thinking about the interview I had with – uh Jay Jaggers and was like, you know, they said when he, they first had him in the room, they thought he was dying. Like they almost had to stop practice. Like, no, no, he just pushes himself that hard every day. So, and, and that's an interesting thing, right? Like he's the leader in that room in terms of the athlete. And that's a very unique thing. Like, you know, he's their leader and he's the hardest working guy on the team. When your best guy is your hardest working guy, I can tell you that as a coach, that makes it a lot easier, and when your best guy's lazy, it makes it really hard. So, I mean, I think Ohio State will miss that as much as anything. You know, obviously he'll probably stay in the room, yeah. but just 
his example of, look, you know, I'm over here killing myself, you know, I think that's he's he seems like a generational kind of guy like that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I saw it in Iowa City in in 2007 when Metcalf came on board. Especially right. in 2008 when they got him in the got him in the lineup. Right. Yeah. To your point, when your your best guy is your best example, you can you can really accelerate the process and it's easy to, easier to get guys on board. You can guys yeah. can't can't get mad at for you yelling at them. You're like, well, yep. look look what Hamilton's doing. He's over here killing it. You know. So yeah, for sure. So um, we can talk a little bit about what's coming up this weekend. Yeah. So I got the schedule in front of me. The, the a big one Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. Let's kind of end with that. So Friday, there's Nebraska-Michigan. Feels like there'll be really good matchups with Renneria Misik, Berger Pantaleo, uh, Isaiah White Massa, and Venz Abinader, just to name a few. Rutgers Northwestern feels like uh, 25 with Rivera and uh, Suriano and 74, the Sebastian match. Minnesota-Iowa. I mean, 25's, you know, super interesting. I mean, I think Lee's the favorite, but, you know, they can both score points in bunches. And there's some other interesting matches there, too. It, uh, um, I, I, you know, I really think, like, 65's interesting because Wanzek's really hard to score on. And, I mean, those are probably the two main matchups I see there. But, you know, those are interesting. Northern Iowa wrestles Ohio, Oklahoma State, excuse me, on Saturday afternoon. So you've got the 25 match, the 30, the 41 match, and the 74 match are all, you know, top 15 guys. And then we'll circle back to Ohio State, Penn State, but Sunday morning, Northwestern wrestles Iowa. So you got um, Rivera against Lee. You've got Deacon against Sorensen. And then Johnny Sebastian against uh, either Gunther or Young. So those are some interesting matchups. The, the duel of the century of the year, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Central Time, Ohio State-Penn State. You know, I, I guess I looked at it going into this before the injury was I felt like I, Ohio State was a big favorite at 25, 33, 97, and heavy. And Penn State was a prohibitive favorite at 49, 65, and then, you know, they're favored at 74, although it's been 1-1. They're favored at 84 because it's been 4-2. Uh, That's how many times they've wrestled. 57, they were a prohibitive favorite. Now I think Ohio State is. I think 41 might end up deciding that duel, Andy. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking here for a while now. And felt like one now that – before the Nolf injury, it felt to me like one Ohio State really had to have. Yeah. And then after the Nolf injury, it felt it feels now like one that the Penn State really needs. Yes, yes. And it's an interesting matchup, right? Like, you know, true freshman versus a guy who's been around. You know, uh, it feels like McKenna's back on the rise. It feels like Nick Lee has been nothing but on the rise, even when he lost to G. Feller. It's just like, okay, you know, stuff happens. You just keep grinding. So, 
yeah, I think it's a, it's a super interesting duel. We're going to get a bunch of guys here together to watch it on Saturday on Big Ten Network. Um, really, really excited, and, and I think, you know, it may come down to bonus. What's kind of weird is that normally when there's a duel like this, you kind of figure there'll be five or six one-point matches, and it doesn't feel like that. It does. It feels like there'll only be a couple one-point matches. Yeah. You know, so which is kind of abnormal for a, a meet like that, but nonetheless, really interesting. You know, preview match to see. Uh, you know, kind of obviously what everybody's looking at is the two teams most likely to win nationals. Good stuff, David. Good stuff. What do you got? What else you got? Anything before we sign off? Uh, yeah, two things. One happy, one a little sad. I just shout out to all the guys that have been in the border brawl that wrestled this last weekend. Guys like Brock and Ironman, and you know all these guys are are doing big Bulu wall. And I mean, it was kind of fun just watching them all wrestle. Cash Wilkie, you know those guys. I know I you know had them for one night, but it's cool to watch them. And then Randy Stottlemyer from Pitt passed away. Um, one of the really, really good guys in the sport. Um, he actually recruited me when I came out of high school. Ton of respect for that guy and, and how he ran that program. And just uh, want to give, you know, my best and I'm sure our best to uh, to Pitt and his family. Yeah. you have any interesting stories about the recruitment? He was – I have a lot of interesting stories about being recruited. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he was really a by-the-book kind of guy. Uh, he and my dad had a relationship, so, um, you know, he kind of relied a little bit more on that relationship than a lot of other guys did, and I kind of learned from that recruiting. Like, I felt I felt like I'd be in good hands, but I almost felt a little neglected because he spent a lot of time talking to my dad and about my dad and maybe a little less time getting to know me, and, and that served me very well in learning that. You know, you got to really get to know the guys. But he's an unbelievable person. He's one of those guys as good as coach as he was or is or was. He's a was a ten times better man. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, my parents would have felt really comfortable with me going there because they knew that, you know, he was going to make sure I ended up being a good person, which is, at the end of the day, ten times more important than winning and losing matches. Well, David, that's all we got for this week. We thank you, as always, for your time and insight. Yeah, I'm going to charge you extra for that Resolite read, but besides okay. that, everything was okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, we will have uh, we will have coverage from Penn State, Ohio State uh, later in the week. We'll have our regularly scheduled content coming up, High School Insider Notebook, Multidivisional Insider, D1 Insider, uh, but also that Super Bowl content that we got uh, from the guys on the Patriots and Eagles rosters, James Ferentz, uh, Rick, uh, excuse me, um, Stephen Wisniewski. We've got uh, some other stuff coming down uh, from that, so be sure to check out all that stuff. It's pretty interesting content. I, I really enjoyed our conversations with those guys and what wrestling meant to them and their uh, experiences in the sport. So be sure to check out all that. And Dave and I will be back in a week for another edition of Weighing In. Thanks for joining us.